You're listening to The Jay Barker Show on Tide 100.9 in Tuscaloosa. Matt Coulter, a former Alabama Broadcaster of the Year and longtime media personality, and Christian Miller, a national championship winning linebacker at Alabama who was drafted by the Carolina Panthers. Here's Lars, Matt, and Christian. It is a tough day in the world of college football, particularly in the Southeastern Conference and particularly in the state of Mississippi. Mike Leach, I would say legendary coach in many ways on and off the field, has passed away this morning at the age of 61. We talked about this extensively yesterday. He had a massive heart attack, was not able to get immediate medical attention, and therefore his situation was deemed very early in this as dire and unfortunately he has passed away at the very very young age of 61 Lars, as i was walking from the car to the studio i was thinking i really have nothing to go on here this has never happened uh that i can recall an active coach dying uh during the season they have a bowl game coming up and i know you got your buddy from nebraska standing by we want to go to get his thoughts immediately but just some quick thoughts on mike leach yeah i mean according to school officials and those close to coach leach he had been dealing with uh pneumonia-like conditions during the 2022 season uh and they were severe enough that staff members suggested that he step away for a few days he refused and and like he had a serious cough and we had him on our show and he was coughing uh during our interview uh but uh, according to those same sources that leach had significantly improved over the past few weeks and unfortunately tragically he lost his life last night and Leach is believed to be the first active SEC head football coach to die uh, since Bo Ryan, R-E-I-N, uh, was killed in a plane crash in January 1980, less than two months into his tenure at LSU. Believed to be the first active FBS coach to pass away since Northwestern coach Randy Walker, who suffered a heart attack in June of 2006 at age 52. And we're going to spend uh, the majority of the show talking about Mike Leach. And joining us right now is my good friend Chris Schmidt from Hill Varsity Radio, which is on throughout the state of Nebraska. And why do you ask, are we bringing Chris Schmidt on to talk about Mike Leach? It's because they have a very unique relationship. Chris, thank you so much for joining us on this very difficult day. Uh, My condolences to you because I know how close you were with Coach Leach. Can you just walk us through your relationship with Mike and how it evolved over the years and and, uh, and just your overall thoughts on what's happened? Lars, thanks for, for having me. Uh, it is a, just an awful day. Uh, you feel for coaches, family, kids, team. This, you've seen the outpouring of love, though, since Sunday on social media, well wishes, and it's, uh, it's just shocking. We just talked to Coach Thursday. We just had him on Thursday, and he, like you were talking about, it, he always, this time of year, seemed to have a cough or – sounded run down a little bit just you know because of the rigors of finishing a season and then you get on the road and go recruit and then it's it's bull prep and then you do it all over again for a second signing day you know in recent years so you no know, coach is is one of a kind and 
he, he is somebody that whether you're uh, a New York Times bestselling author like yourself, you're big time, you're, you're <laughs> accredited, or you're a guy starting out in radio and you, you, you land a, a lucky gig like I did with uh, just doing call-ins from Memorial Stadium for Fox Sports. Well, part of that job assignment was to, to try and get an interview with the, the winning coach after, after the ball game. Uh, for their, uh, their post-game radio show, their national show. So <laughs> I was between full-time radio gigs, but I was still doing some freelance, and I was able to do the uh, post-game with, with Coach Leach. And in Nebraska, had come in. Uh, they had beaten Missouri. They're ranked. And here comes a pirate, man. Third and eight, guess what? They're going to find a running back on a linebacker, and he did about 40 times that game. And, and they, they drilled Nebraska, and that was a Sioux-led team, 31-10. Uh, to 10. That was in 09. And we just kind of started talking after the game. And it was like, yeah, you know a place to eat around here. I'm like, yeah, here's a spot. Go get a beer and a burger. And just kind of stayed in contact. Uh, after his time at Tech, he did uh, Sirius XM with Jack Arut. I had history with Jack. A route he'd do his his ESPN radio uh, post game slash highlight shows from our ESPN studios in Lincoln when he would be in town for ABC, and he ended up working and co-hosting a midday show with 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 Leach, right? So um, I'm sh- I, I I think Jack probably put in a good word about me, and we just stayed in contact and, and Mike. Came became a, a weekly guest every Thursday uh, during the season, and uh, then he got hired by Bill Moose in Washington State in 2012. But that's really the start of it. Would stay in contact with him. He'd call or shoot a text here and there. I'd send a you know that a boy type deal because he had a lot of wow wins in his career, even when his teams were still building. He'd go into the Coliseum and beat SC or in shock Oregon, or, you know, we all remember Texas tech and the crab tree versus, you know, uh, versus Texas two seconds left. What are you going to do? Well, it's just throwing out. <laughs> and, uh, so we stayed in contact. Um, he's a big steak eater. So I, as a thank you, would, would send him steaks every so often. And he'd send, uh, you're a good Nebraskan, Chris. Well, uh, shout out to Jay Erickson, uh, my boy Jaybird here, because he has family out west, <laughs> and they uh, they have great beef, man. <laughs> and uh, we'd send some steaks to the pirate, and, and he would send back some gear. They would order some beef jerky to him because he'd be up doing film just as a thank you. I mean, we, we Mike Leach, his personality, his persona is will never be matched. And Lars, for him to take time. And, and get back to a rookie TV person, a newspaper person, a radio guy, uh, a national guy. I mean, that's how giving he was. And uh, I can't thank the man enough for his time. And, you know, one of the last texts he sent to me, he's like, thank you for your friendship. And that means a lot. I really just grilled him on Ireland, quite frankly. It's like, Coach, you've been everywhere, man. Where do I go in Ireland? And he's like, well, make sure you have Guinness. <laughs> I'm like, well, 
gonna I'm gonna make sure I do that. But no, I I, I really really appreciated him and just the back and forth, and he treated so many people incredibly well. It's really why I wanted to have you on because uh, you know so many of us in the media have come across uh, Mike Leach over the years, but it's sort of like a a one and done. You know, you go, you hang out with him for a day, and you have a great time, and you try to feel like you get to know him. But for you, Chris, you've had an ongoing ten year conversation with Mike Leach. What sticks out to you? Not the football stuff. But just uh, some of the quirky stories that I'm sure he shared with you because, man, he he was like the just the greatest interview to listen to because you never knew where he was going to go and what topic he was going to explore. Lars, the, the thing with, with Coach was, yeah, he'd talk football. It, it was fun. But anything else was better. I mean, pop culture was just so much fun. And him and I would, would always try and give each other recommendations about shows to watch. And he was a little hesitant on watching Breaking Bad. And I'm like, come on, dude, you got to try it. And he's like, wow, you, you were, you were right. And just funny things like that, where, what are we watching on Netflix? What are you checking out? What am I just, and then we'd bring it to the interview. All right. What do you think of Ozark? Uh, tell me about, how many bets you know from Cody Wyoming that that remind you of Beth on Yellowstone? I mean, uh, things like that. Just pop culture. Uh, Santa Claus is one of my favorites. Ghost stories. He tried to stay in a haunted hotel in, in L.A. Uh, and he refused to be. He said, I'll sleep in the lobby if you don't put me in the haunted room, the supposed haunted room. <laughs> and uh, the... Uh, one I got a kick out of, though, is this was an off-air story, and this was uh, about Leach down in Key West, and John Goodman used to hang out in Key West, and the, before John got into recovery, John John liked to drink Bud Heavy, Lars. So they're at this legendary bar in, in Key West, and it's got the giant tree in the middle of it. I've never been to Key West, but... So Bleach is like, yeah, I walk in, and there's old John Goodman. He's like, hey, coach, come sit down. You need a bud. <laughs> well, John Goodman doesn't buy a, a bottle of beer, Lars. John Goodman didn't buy a a, a, a pint, a draft. John Goodman came back with eight pitchers of Bud Heavy to get to work on. <laughs> and... Uh, the, the parting message from the Pirates like, did you ever come see me in Key West? And he'd throw that out there, that which was so nice of him. I never took him up on it because I wasn't sure if he was kind of serious or not. But he's like, you ever go drinking with John Goodman? Don't. I mean, that's just in, in total leech fashion. Uh, with the uh, Yeah, John Goodman, his his beer is a pitcher, not, not a glass, not a bottle. I uh, got a kick out of that story. And just many other anecdotes. Uh, he... Uh, he loved telling stories. I tried to get him into a, to talk about growing up in Cody, Wyoming, which was fascinating because he had a paper route. He hates get, he hated getting up early if he could help it because of that paper route. He wanted to live somewhere warm because of that paper route. Uh, you know, freezing your butt off in Cody, Wyoming year round delivering papers, and uh, that's why he really uh, liked Key West, uh, trying to get over there uh, for a lot of his time. But just 
just obviously the personality is incredible, but he's got a heart of gold. Always treated me wonderful. Chris, uh, this is gold here material. Thank you so much. Uh, we're all in in mourning today, and I know especially you. Uh, again, uh, condolences. I know how close you were to Coach Mike Leach, who passed away last night at the age of sixty-one. Chris, thank you for your time, Indeed. and uh, we uh, are going to continue talking about Mike Leach throughout this show. Up next, though, is uh, Andy Kennedy, the UAB men's basketball coach. This is High Noon Radio. We'll be right back. From T-Town to the Plains, this is Alabama's most in-depth analysis on the SEC. This is Big Noon Sports. Roll Tide. The best sports talk, period. Your home for Alabama Alabama sports. sports. Tide 100.9. And streaming on the Tide 100.9 app. Did you know the ancient Romans had a winter festival that began on December 17th? It was a time of merriment, gift-giving, and decorative candles. Slow 59. Tomorrow, cloudy, breezy, rain, and thunderstorms move in. That rain could be heavy at times. The high 67. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. It's 60 degrees in Tuscaloosa. There you have it, Blazer Fight Song to welcome in Andy Kennedy as we welcome you back to Big Noon Sports. Matt Coulter, Lars Anderson, Christian Miller, and um, his dad, uh, Corey Miller, nine-year NFL uh, player, is going to join us here in a little bit as well. But Andy Kennedy joins us, of course, UAB basketball coach, uh, was at Ole Miss, uh, played at UAB of uh, Cincinnati. I could, I could go on and on and on, but really uh, don't have enough time to do so. Andy, unfortunately, I'm, I'm going to lead with a question about Mike Leach. You're a Louisville, Mississippi guy. I don't know if your paths ever crossed, but um, I just know as a fellow Mississippian that that's got to be a, a sad situation. Did you know Mike? You no, know, I did not, man. And, and uh, I, I never had the opportunity to meet him. You know, I, I coach, you know, as you said, I'm born and raised in Louisville, Mississippi. Grew up a huge SEC fan coached in the league for 12 years, met some really great coaches, some uh, eclectic personality, but I never had the opportunity to cross paths with Mike Leach. I was gone at Ole Miss before he had gotten Mississippi State, and we just never have had the opportunity to meet, which I regret because uh, incredible respect for uh, his innovative spirit as a coach, but really the, the way in which he, he, he lived his life. Um, you know, and, and at his age, when I, I was like everybody. I was shocked initially when I heard he had the heart attack, and then, you know, I didn't. I'm bad with ages, especially as I get older. It's hard for me to keep up with how old he is. I, I would have thought he was older simply because he's been so relevant in the coaching space for so long. And True. 61 years old, man, it's a tragedy that he's gone so early. Um, Andy, I mean, this is a compliment to him and all basketball coaches. His his personality was probably better suited to have been a college basketball uh, guy because uh, he he was just he was kind of out there and he was loved for that. Let's talk some UAB basketball, if you will. How's Huggy? Uh, I know the the visit to West Virginia didn't turn out like you planned, but you know what you're going to get when you get the Mountaineers. They're a pretty good basketball team. How good are y'all? And and going into tomorrow night's game with South Carolina. 
Well, they're they're obviously better than we are. They they proved that on the court a few days back. Uh, we knew going into Morgantown it's going to be a daunting challenge. They're really really good. I looked it up going in there. They had won 93 of their non-conference games under Hugs uh, in that Coliseum. So we knew we we're going to play really well. And and I told him this after the game. I think it's one of his better teams at West Virginia, most certainly over the last five or six seasons, simply because they have a number of guys that can score. We knew defensively it was going to be a challenge for us, and then, you know, it was just the perfect storm of, of, of adversity for us. Eric Gaines, my transfer from LSU, played a season-low 17 minutes before fouling out, which put a lot of pressure back on Jelly. He ends up, you know, not having his best performance. We turned the ball over 19 times, and that's just a recipe for a disaster. So I was proud of our guys. I didn't think the moment was too big. I do think that West Virginia is, is without question, an NCAA tournament caliber team they're a team that i think uh, will have an opportunity to compete uh well in big 12 play and the moment was not too big for us my guys were excited about it they competed their tails off which didn't play good enough and if you don't play good on the road against quality people you're typically going to lose coach Corey miller here hope you're doing well on today former gamecock alum so now you get ready to take on my gamecocks uh, Lamont Paris, first-year coach at South Carolina, and I know you knew Frank Martin, a good friend of mine. Uh, you guys knew each other very well. But looking at this basketball team at South Carolina, a lot of new faces, a lot of young players, a five-star in G.G. Jackson. They've had a lot of struggles up to this point, won a couple of uh, games. But uh, what do you see in this basketball team with Lamont Paris? Well, you know, I, I, I've known Lamont for a while. He's done, he did a tremendous job at Chattanooga, and I think he'll do a great job in South Carolina, you know, with the transfer portal the way that it is, there's not a lot of continuity as it relates to roster management. You know, we we returned a handful of guys off last year's 27-win team, but they don't return that many coaching change, transfer portal. They've got a, a pretty brand-new team. Uh, but as you said, they're, they're led by one of the best players in all of college basketball, a potential lottery pick, and a kid named G.G. Jackson who reclassed up. I don't know if he's 18 yet, but he, he started at South Carolina at 17. So he's a young kid who had committed to North Carolina. He's a home state guy and decided to flip and play for Coach Paris at, uh, at South Carolina. And he is going to be a, a tremendous challenge for us because of his size and his versatility. As you said, they beat Clemson earlier in the year, and you know what a big game that is for mm-hmm. the Gamecocks. And then they're coming off maybe their best win of the season by winning at Georgetown a couple of games back. So – their team with SEC athletes, their team that, that spreads you and plays off the bounce, and that's really been our biggest issue is not being able to contain the dribble defensively, which has caused us a number of different issues. So we're, where they're very good is an area that we need improvement, so that'll be a challenge for us tomorrow. Andy, you're one of the top five or six scoring teams in all of college basketball. And at one point, I had I didn't check this morning, you had the leading scorer in all of basketball in Jordan Jelly Walker. Um you just point blank, Andy. Do, do you see him and you and you and him as a no, player? You know what? I, I I I see that you know he is a hungry scorer, and I was a hungry scorer. But our games are just totally different. You know, Jelly's a guy that at his size and and his ability to get where he wants off the bounce and and be able to score so quickly and so abundantly in limited space is pretty is pretty uh, jaw dropping. Uh, he is a dynamic playmaker. He's a guy that, that teams are scouting. They're tilting the floor to try to limit his space and opportunity. And he's been doing a tremendous job. He still is leading the nation in scoring. We're currently, I think, third or fourth at around 90 a game. We play the 
fourth fastest pace in all of college basketball, and we're doing it in a fairly efficient manner. We're rated 27th in uh, 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 offensive efficiency to this point. And Jelly is a guy that is making about four threes a game at about 41%. The problem is we don't really have other guys stepping up and helping him in that regard. We're scoring it well at the rim. Our fours and our fives have been the most productive of, of any time in my three years here. We're playing basically a four-man rotation at the power forward and center slot, and they have really produced at an efficient manner. Our wing scoring needs to pick up, and, and you know, Eric Gaines, who played a season low, as I said, against West Virginia, only 17 minutes, um, he's got to pick up his playmaking ability like I know he's capable of. Andy, the transfer portal has become prevalent in today's landscape of college athletics. How have you used it to your advantage and, and capitalized on it? been really good to us uh you know you're never going to hit 100 percent, but we've had some some good players come through the portal it's the way it's going to be now you know you used to sit around and this is my 16th year as a head coach i've seen a lot of change in, in in intercollegiate athletics none more so than what we're currently experiencing now with the transfer portal and and the name image and likeness um issue that is that has come to the forefront and and really it, it's just the way things are going to be you used to sit around and think about okay roster development i need x number of seniors x number of juniors i've got to have x number of sophomores you don't think about that anymore you don't think about that at, at uab or at alabama or at auburn or at kansas or at indiana uh, now you're just worried about you know getting the best team you can for now and then when spring rolls around we'll all have to reshuffle coach when you look at um uh, again you know you're talking about the transfer portal and college basketball how different is it when you look at the football? You know, you get a couple of guys in. Of course, you got 11 guys on the field. But with basketball, five on, on the court, is it more difficult? Does it take more time to build continuity? And also, uh, part B to this question, you know, when you look at basketball, I see a lot of older guys. Like I was watching Penn State, and they talked about the, the senior-laden basketball team. You know, does that help that part of it as well? Well, I do think you get older, you know, with the COVID year that we had, you know, we've got actually court for Ken Palm, which is an analytical base that's, that's pretty accurate, uh, out of 363 Division One basketball teams per Ken Palm based on experience on your roster. We have the third oldest team in college basketball, but that experience doesn't do you well, doesn't do you any service if you don't play experience. Uh, and, and that's something that I'm challenging my guys to do daily. To your first point, you're right. I do think. You know, one or two guys in basketball can make a huge difference. There's, you know, numerically in football, it, it, it takes a, a number of different guys on both sides of the ball in, in order to impact. Now, obviously, a playmaker, a quarterback, a dynamic wide receiver, running back, maybe a great D lineman or a linebacker can certainly have impact, but it takes a few more bodies, as you well know. Uh, but it also, in my sport, uh, you know, most of the guys that are coming here, coming here, you know, wanting an opportunity to showcase themselves with the ball. I've never heard a defensive tackle complain after the game. Well, why didn't the quarterback throw me the ball? I've never heard a third baseman. I've never heard a third baseman say, "Damn, why don't I get the batter? Why don't they ever hit it to me?" But in basketball, they all want that ball and they all want to shoot. So, in this early stage of new players, a new group, role definition is prevalent. Andy, I'm gonna let you go. I hope you have a merry Christmas. Your family doing well. Everybody's doing great, man, and I appreciate you guys, Matt. Uh, thanks for having me on. Thanks, Coach. I'll see you tomorrow night. Thank you, Andy. Thank you. 
Andy Kennedy, head coach of the UAB Blazers. Uh, Bartow's going to be a rockin' tomorrow night when South Carolina comes a knocking. Uh, Corey. GG. Corey, you know a lot about those Gamecock basketball teams, don't you? You know, man, I'm a, you know, I was a uh, all state basketball player as well, and I could have played both sports in college, so I love some basketball hoops, man. It's a great game, and when you get a rowdy atmosphere in a gymnasium like Bartow Arena, uh, you can't have a whole lot more fun than that. Mm. You're listening to Big Noon Sports. You've got the Millers over in Tuscaloosa, Lars Anderson, Matt Coulter here in Birmingham, and you are coming up next. We will entertain phone calls for the next half hour, 45 minutes. Uh, Tim Brando is coming up, so you can dial us up right now, 205 205- 342-9904. That's 205-342-9904. From T-Town to the Plains, this is Alabama's most in-depth analysis on the SEC. This is Big Noon Sports. People here are raving about QC Kinetics and how regenerative medicine has changed their life. People like Helen, an avid mountain climber who got sidelined when an accident left her knees Welcome back to Big Noon Sports. We've got Christian Corey Miller, Matt Coulter, along with Lars Anderson. We just literally bolted out of the gate with Chris Schmidt talking about Mike Leach and then Andy Kennedy, a scheduled guest that we uh, we had on to talk about the Blazers thus far this season. Uh, I think you can look around the college basketball world right now and ask a whole lot of people, and they'll say, they'll tell you that the Blazers are bound for postseason. And I am not talking NIT. So anyway. Uh, we touched on that, but really never got an opportunity to talk to Christian and Corey Miller about the passing uh, of Mike Leach. Uh, Christian, we'll start with you. I mean, I, I know you played against him. You certainly knew how difficult his his offenses could be. Yeah, you know, a very creative and innovative uh, offensive mind in Mike Leach. And, uh, you know, he's so well known for his press conferences. But, um, you know, as a, as a player, you, you got to think about those players in that locker room um, that he's coached both where he's at now and also uh, his former destinations because, you know, coaches have such an impact on players and, um, you know, they mean so much to players. They, they, they help them, especially at the college level. You, you, when you go to college, um, you know, you're going as a 17, 18-year-old, you know, teen, and you, and you leave a man. And, and a coach, especially a head coach, can have so much impact on the development of these players in their lives. So um, my condolences go out to those guys. I know a couple of guys that, that played for him in college, and um, they, they said so many great things about him, um, not only as a coach but as a person. Um, so some, some really tough news, but my condolences go out um, to all his loved ones, all his players, and everyone involved. Yeah, I echo uh, that same sentiment. Um, just a tough, tough day uh, to hear that news, waking up this morning to that news that uh, Mike Leach has passed away. And, and you think about, as Christian said, the locker room, of course, the family, um, and uh, what they're going through right now. I, I have a little bit of, of understanding of what that feels like back in 1988 uh, when I was at South Carolina losing my football coach uh, to a heart attack playing racquetball one day in the spring, Joe Morrison, and, and how devastating that was to, to our team and uh, the family, the fan base, and, you know, dying of a young age. And, and uh, you know, that that's hard. And you think about they got a bowl game coming up and, 
And, you know, they got to mourn. They got to go through all this stuff. And it's going to be a difficult time. That's why I think it's, it's very crucial that we continue, uh, and I use that word strongly, continue to pray. Uh, think about, you know, reach out if you know any of these players, you know, talk to them because this is a tough time. And, and uh, they've gone through it before with a teammate, I think, just not long ago as well. So. Right. Uh, condolences to to the Mississippi State Bulldog family. Such a great mind, innovator, a guy that did things his own way. Uh, Mike Leach, you know the three by five card to call his plays on. He didn't have the a big poster board like most coaches that's laminated. You know he just used that little poster card and and just chopped up defenses. So man, I'm going to miss him and those those quirky moments with uh, the sideline reporters as he's exit the field to to press conference. But he was a he was an awesome man and and I'm glad we had a chance to see all the great things that he accomplished. Certainly everybody is thinking about uh, his wife, Sharon, his children, Janine, Kim, Cody, and uh, Kirsten, and then their three grandchildren. Uh, Mike Leach, uh, just a little bit about his biography and and what makes him so unique. Um, He was born in California and was then raised in Cody, Wyoming. Uh, Went to BYU, graduated with honors in 1983, Went on to earn a master's degree from the U.S. Sports Academy. I got—I frankly have no idea where that is. Uh, but then he went to uh, Pepperdine and earned his uh, Juris Doctorate, his JD. Uh, he was eligible to uh, become a lawyer, and he graduated in the top third of his class. And, and I've had friends who went to Pepperdine Law, and that's a really good law school. Um, and just sort of backing up uh, to the events of this weekend, so on Saturday, uh, Coach Leach, he attended a bowl practice. He went to a recruiting event. And then uh, in the evening, he went to a holiday party with his son, that was held in uh, the Starkville home of uh, Brian Haddad, I think that's his name, uh, a radio broadcaster uh, from Super Talk Mississippi. Uh, Leach, according to people who were there, you know, he mingled with the crowd for 45 minutes, uh, had a few sweet treats, and and then left. And according to everybody, he, you know, he was in good spirits. It was just Mike Leach being Mike Leach. And, uh, and then, unfortunately, we we know what happened. And uh, and uh, again, um, you know, uh, Leach is believed to be the first active SEC coach to pass away since Bo Ryan uh, was uh, lost his life in a plane crash in January of 1980. Uh, and then he's believed to be the first active FBS coach to pass away since Northwestern coach Randy Walker, who suffered a heart attack in June of 2006 at age 52 and uh and and, and look uh this is going to be talked about quite a bit but you know he is a disciple of Hal Mum and his air raid offense and then Leach went on to use this pass happy scheme to win 158 games over 21 seasons include stops at Texas Tech, Washington State and then Mississippi State and he really helped revolutionize football's passing attack, and he coached some of the game's best, or at least most prolific. You know, it didn't work out for all these guys in in the pros, but he coached Tim Couch at Kentucky, number one overall pick, Cliff Kingsbury and Graham Harrell at Texas Tech. They both put up just insane numbers. And then more recently, Gardner Minshew, Gardner Minshew at Washington State, 
And then his latest QB, Will Rogers. And Will Rogers, like, he broke school records at Kentucky, or excuse me, at Mississippi State. Over for, and for, over yeah, and for, over for again. Career passing, for career passing touchdowns and, and yards. And, uh, you know, he was, uh, Coach Leach was one of the few major head coaches who did not play college football. And uh, and this includes Hugh Freeze, uh, TCU's Sonny Dykes, and Missouri's Eli Drinkowitz. And he was the only major head coach with a law degree. And, you know, he was never uh, afraid to air his political views. He loved debates. Um, he loved talking deep into the night. I mean, I, I have friends that uh, if you're working on a story and, and you put in uh, a request to the SID, wherever Leach was working, sometimes he'd call you as late as 2 in the morning. I mean, he just, uh, he just was just, and he just loved people. That's the thing that, that, that I will remember most about Mike Leach is, is, yes, he was quirky. Yes, he loved to talk about things other than college football. It's almost like the X's and O's uh, bored him to a degree, and he wanted to talk about bigger issues. But it was his love of people. He was as accessible as any coach I've ever been around. And, uh, and that was not, you know, he, we just talked to Chris Schmidt. In the middle of Nebraska, there's no reason for Mike Leach to have carry on a 10-year conversation with Chris, but he did because he, he enjoyed Chris's company, enjoyed talking. Um, and, and our Tony Curry, you know, our, our buddy here who's, who's a part of this show, uh, they had a, a long-term relationship. And, you know, and, and the guy just – he loved to talk politics, the economy, human evolution, dinosaurs, Bigfoot, grizzly bears. Candy corn. I mean just – it just went on and on and on and, and as I'm going on and on and on because I could talk at length about just what made Mike Leach so unique and so sh- – so special. Here's one characteristic uh, in the limited amount of time that I've been around. Tony Curry would back me up. We've discussed it. Is that he made you feel important? He paid attention. He yes. listened. Uh, a lot of people don't have that, um, and and he did. And and the thing about it is, he wasn't. It wasn't just lip service. He meant it. He understood it. He called Tony Curry at halftime and and halftime at a major college football game. Um, he yes, uh, Corky's a good. Uh, uh, is a good word, but I think genuine and, and a listener is the way that uh, I will remember him. But sometimes the best quotes aren't mine. Well, often they're not. Um, Cliff Kingsbury, who no one really knew him better, I, th- I think from from the playing standpoint certainly and coaching, but he said college football better off because of Mike Leach and far less interesting without him. And I loved his leechisms, and there's so many of them. <laughs> One, if you get into a fight, don't take your helmet off. We're looking for smart players, not dumb ones. <laughs> and then he also said, well, you're, you're going to be dead in 100 years anyway. <laughs> he also said, uh, well, you're going to be dead in 100 years anyway, so live dangerously. And uh, then one time with my buddy ESPN's uh, Jeremy Schapp, uh, he did a E60 segment on uh, on Mike uh, back in 2019. And uh, Jeremy asked him, how would you like to be remembered in your obituary? <laughs> and Leach, without missing a beat, well, that's their problem. What do I care? I'm dead. <laughs> I mean, the guy's sense of humor was just off the charts. Have you got a few more of those? Can you share on the other side? Yes, a absolutely. A few more, Leecha, because those are uh, that, that makes me smile. I want to smile because it is odd, and I know you feel the same way. 
Uh, it's it's not uh, it's sorrowful to think that we were talking to this guy four weeks ago. Did you month s- ago? By the way, did you see what he did in the Auburn game? He was so upset with his wide receivers that he put down all the folding chairs on the sideline because they didn't deserve to take a seat. He did it himself. It was a great video of it. Yeah, I saw that. That was awesome. Guy. Uh, some more, what are they called, leechisms? Leechisms. Like yogiisms. All right, more of those coming up on Big Noon Sports. Covering SEC sports like Kudzu on the roadside, this is Big Noon Sports. A national championship team covering a national championship team. The best sports talk in the state. Tide 100.9 and streaming on the Tide 100.9 app. This Christmas, give your family the ultimate gift everyone will enjoy. A new boat from Boatworks in Northport. If you fish, Boatworks carries Camus Bass Boats by Earl Vince. And power nights low 59. Tomorrow, cloudy, breezy, rain, and thunderstorms move in. That rain could be heavy at times. The high 67. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. It's 60 degrees in Tuscaloosa. to rescue you. Uh, the, uh, the best wisdom that I can possibly give, uh, the best w- wisdom I can possibly give on that subject, nine days, and it's a little late, you should have come to me sooner. Um, the, uh, my wisdom would be, uh, you, you have to stay out of the way. Now, and I wish you a very happy marriage, and I'm sure you'll have one, but uh, I'm just telling you, uh, when it comes to marriages, uh, the women lose their mind. Your fiance is going to lose her mind. Your mother-in-law is going to lo- lose her mind. Your mom is going to lose her mind. Several of your sisters and uh, female relatives are going to lose their mind, and um, and that you, they're going to they're going to barrage you with constant questions. What should we wear? And then, uh, which of course, my answer was, I don't care. And then, uh, what color should the invitations be? I don't care. Uh, what should we have for dessert? I don't care. Should we seat this this way or th- that that way? I don't care. But see, I don't care is not satisfactory at all. And you're going to get caught in a catch-22, and I'm certain that you already have. And that catch-22 is, well, I want you to be a part of this too. Uh, so what color invitations? Um, all right, the blue ones. Well, I kind of like uh, I kind of like the tan ones. Okay, the tan ones then. Oh, you're just saying that because uh, 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 you want this over. Well, you're not even thinking about it, which is of course true. And then, um, well, uh, uh, what do you want for dessert? I was thinking of strawberry shortcake. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, strawberry shortcake would be good. Well, what about the blueberry pie? Well, I like the blueberry pie. We could have the blueberry pie. Well, I thought you said you wanted the strawberry shortcake. And it's just going to go back and forth, and they're going to play keep away from you until uh, after you're married. So what you need to do is you need to work late hours, work late, be, be very nice and supportive, and, um, uh, but, but they're going to play keep away from you, and, and there's no answer you can give that is going to be satisfactory or correct. And if you successfully uh, please a few of them, the others will still be, oh, well, I just don't feel like he's that interested. Yeah, okay, so, so you need to work late, uh, go in the back room and read a lot of books, 
uh, uh, you know, uh, you have to go uh, take the groomsmen out so you make sure that they march in just right and they know exactly, you know, these swell outfits that you picked out or whatever, however you're doing it. Um, and in the end, you'll wish you eloped. But um, uh, nevertheless, you need to find uh, you need to find um, excuses uh, that they'll buy uh, to be as far out of harm's way as you possibly can. And uh, but uh, take comfort in knowing that uh, once the ceremony's over. Wow! Oh, one of a kind. I Indeed. wish she would have counseled me before. Not my first wedding. Not only my first wedding, but also my second wedding. You and I'm going to keep elope. that in mind if I ever get married a third time. You should just elope. <laughs> I don't care. I love I love his uh, mon, monotone I know. delivery it, of it, that. It, but I the, don't care. The thing is, he's just care. asked a simple question about getting married, and he doesn't give a simple answer. He goes it throughout the whole process because he's seen it. He've, he's lived it. Corey Miller. Your response to Mike Leach on weddings. <laughs> My wife is listening back in Columbia, South Carolina. But listen, and he's right. I was just laughing because I'm like, no matter what you say, it's like they're going to be another point. Well, you're just saying it because that's why I started laughing because my wife would say that sometimes. I'm like, okay, let's do this. And she's like, you really don't care. You just said it because you just want this conversation to be over with. He, he was really just speaking facts. I love how he just went, you know, deeper and deeper into the conversation. And he said, well, you probably at the end wish you just eloped. <laughs> so, that's like, Perfect. Uh, that's so awesome, man. It's, it's almost like you could see his mind working there, getting deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper into it. <laughs> and, uh, it's, again, as someone who's been through it, not well, yeah, a couple of times. I could just, Matt, everything you and he I, was saying, everything he was doing, was I was going, been there, on. done that, been there, done that, <laughs> been there, said that, been there, said that. Same result, same result, go elope. <laughs> Elope. I always yeah. say that, you know, Courthouse. take the money that you, your parents going to give you, right? If they don't give you, say your wedding cost 50 grand, 35 grand, whatever it is, you know, you take all that that, that money, as uh, we like to call it cheese, and, you know, go put your nice down payment on a nice house, and then go like to Cancun or, you know, Cabo and, you know, just have a nice little you and then your wife and and then, um, you know, throw a little, little small party when you get back. You save so much money and so many headaches. That's what I want. I'm, I'm going to just do a, a small, small wedding opinion here of something that's happening and is very, very popular now. Uh, and thank you, Mike Leach, for getting into this topic because it's fun to talk about it. It's fun to remember how you responded to questions like this. Are y'all familiar with these things called destination weddings? Yes. Yeah. Been to a few. Um, they're quite expensive. Can't you just get married in your church? <laughs> yeah. I guess that's <laughs> everybody. That's a personal preference. Well, get a, um, yeah. That's where I. That's my second wife and I got married at courthouse. My son and her son were the officiators, or whatever you want to call it. Actually, you know, we had a pastor, but uh, they were the witnesses, and uh, we were out of there in ten minutes. A couple other leechisms. When Washington State upset USC 30-27, to Washington State fans rushed the field. What does Mike Leach say? 
Quote, it's like Woodstock, except everybody's got their clothes Sorry, on. I love, love that one. <laughs> on hot dogs. A lot of debate about hot dogs, but he said, uh, quote, a hot dog isn't a sandwich. I'm not into hot dogs. With all due respect to those that are, but they can have mine, so there will be more for them. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Uh, on college kids and technology. Their best feature probably, well, they're experts on technology. Heck, when I was a kid, I would watch Star Trek. Those guys could have had have invented the plane, the computer, Scotty, the whole thing. <laughs> These guys, meaning uh, they're the kids on, on the team. But, uh, you know, there's just so, so many great sayings that he had. Uh, and he's just a... Uh, not just a coach like any other, but a human being like any other. And you felt so comfortable as a fan, uh, as a member of the media, asking virtually anything. Anything. I Nothing mean, was off limits. You, there, yes, and, and none of these questions could be asked most all of the other coaches across the face of college football. Imagine, Here's one. Here's a couple of questions. have one, answer one of those questions? No. Hey, Coach, <laughs> what do you think about weddings? What do you think about hot dogs? Nick, yeah, you like candy corn? <laughs> not going far. Hey, he did offer relationship advice one time, I think. <laughs> Uh, well, you're going to have to share that with us on the other side of the break. This is Big Noon Sports. Meet Joe A, Hi. Joe B, Hello. and Joe C. What's up? Three everyday Joes perfecting their banking with Chase. Joe A is locking his lost debit card with the Chase mobile app. Joe B. Welcome back to Big Noon Sports with Lars Anderson, Matt Coulter, and Christian Miller. What's your favorite Halloween? Candy corn. I mean, I completely hate candy corn. Uh, uh, When I was a kid, well, gummy bears, let's see. Uh, Gummy bears for sure. Sour or regular? The the Haribo. It's got to be the Haribo ones. And then uh, the other thing I like is is when they used to have the the, uh, sprees in a box. Outstanding. You have to go to the dollar store to find it, but I do. And then the latest, the, the latest, you know, there's still candy innovation, although a while back I found that Europe had better candy than we did overall because they have gummy everything. And then, uh, but the, um, the uh, you know, they have those nerds clusters, which is new. The gummy. Yeah, which is good. The nerds clusters is good. And then if you go chocolate, uh, probably almond joy. <laughs> Hopefully you'll get some of that next week. Wonder if he ever had pop rocks. You remember those? That was an interesting candy. But um, just around around the horn here, real quick. Are, are you a candy corn guy? I am. I love candy corn. What about the Millers? I you am. eat candy corn? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> had to be one there. You know, it's got to be one. Those things just like straight sugar, too nasty for me. That's a, you know, you're right. You could just get a spoon and dip it in your sugar bowl and put it in your mouth, and it's pretty much the mm. equivalent. And, and by the way, it's horrible, like most candy is, it's horrible for your teeth. Candy corn is probably the worst for your teeth. Now, are you a gummy guy? What I, kind of gummies? Oh, I knew. <laughs> uh, the answer is yes and yes. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> all right, Matt is. Uh... Can you imagine asking Nick Saban that? <laughs> hey, Coach, you ever tried gummies? 
But um, Reed's goes to the point where I, he he specifies a certain brand. It's the Haribo that has the funny commercial. Yeah, those are the that's old school gummies. Okay. Yeah. I like the lifesaver. I like the lifesaver gummies too. My my kids like the lifesaver gummies a lot. Um Okay, so this is for uh, uh, Corey and Christian Miller. I-, I want to get in just to a little bit of the X's and O's of the air raid offense, right, and how it works and why it's so difficult to defend. And this is the offense that Mike Leach uh, perfected, and, and I I think you could make the, the case that this offense has had a profound impact, not just throughout college football, but the NFL – and as I understand it, the offense works by having four or five wide receivers on the field. And then uh, it runs out of the shotgun with two receivers to one side, two or three to one side, two to the other. And the whole point of the air raid is to stretch the field both horizontally and vertically, making the defense cover all the areas. And uh, you really need a quarterback, right, who can process reads mm-hmm. quickly. Uh, and and hit the deep throws and crossing patterns. I know are a staple of the air raid. Um, and, and I guess a, a downside would be the the time of possession. Right, you you you're probably going to lose a time of possession battle. Mm-hmm. But uh, so this is both. This is for you guys. You guys are the experts when it comes to. Uh, you know, playing defense in the NFL and college and, and and doing it at a very high level, just sort of break down the air raid for us and, and what made it so difficult and still makes it so difficult to defend. Um, you know, it's, it's like you said, you know, the, the purpose of it is to spread the defense out and you're looking for those big shots. You, you're pretty much throwing the football probably 70% of the time. And, um, you know, you really just have to know how to go against it. I mean, there's also a lot of different, you know, uh, variations with it. You know, a lot of people like to imp- um, implement the no huddle with the air raid system. Um, basically, you got to think about it. I mean, if, if you got DBs running 30 40, 30, 40 yards down the field trying to cover routes every down and you're going fast, I mean, that's one way to tire out the defense. You know, guys start getting tired, and what happens when guys get tired? Um, they start playing with less discipline. They're more lazy. They're not doing the things that they need to do with the line of scrimmage, like, you know, getting proper reroutes, which is offering free releases from wide receivers, um, uh, creating uh, even more success with the big shots. But um, you also can, you know, run a, a system air raid um, where you have, you know, basic, you know, mesh concepts. You're just getting three, four, five, six yards um, a pop with with the pass game, setting up third and shorts. Um, so it's, it's it's definitely a harder concept to stop. Um, it, it, and it's one of those things that you definitely saw it out west a lot, you know, in the Pac-12. You know, we're starting to see a lot more of it in the SEC where it was traditionally a lot more um, of running the football, you know, ground and pound, pro-style type offenses. But um, it definitely definitely uh, creates a lot of challenges for a defense. And you, you have to do a lot of different things. You have to affect the quarterback, have great pass rush. I mentioned earlier the reroutes underneath are so important. They're critical to slow those receivers down. We saw an example, you know, Alabama faced Tennessee. One of the, the biggest issues that the defensive backs um, had that game was we weren't really getting any reroutes underneath, and, and those wide receivers running 4-3 speed, flying down the field, uh, running straight past by the, the, the DBs. So um, a lot of challenges for the defense it presents. I'll let my dad, you know, kind of add on to that. Yeah, I can't say too much more. I think you, you're spot on. I think when you – you know, you think about, you know, playing smaller, faster basketball on turf, uh, if you will, with this air raid offense, spread you out, make the defense cover the entire football field. Uh, one of the biggest things it does is create mismatches. 
you know, you got to make sure you hear Coach Saban talk about this a lot, about having the correct personnel on the field. And sometimes you can't substitute. Uh, well, you know, if you're a nickel or you're going to play dime, you got four, you know, we call it ten personnel, four receivers, one back maybe, mm-hmm. or you go, you know, complete empty sometimes. So you're making guys cover the entire field. Uh, it consists of the short passing game, um, you know, real quick reads. So you got to have a quarterback that understands, uh, you know, Christian talked about the concepts, you know, you know, you got to be able to get the ball out your hands at times, you know, those quick little hitches. Uh, you know, sometimes you got 10 personnel with the back, a swing route. It represents a running play. Really, you want to get those four and five yards, keep it second and medium. Then you want to, you know, be able to get defensive backs. We saw this against Tennessee with Alabama safeties. You get safeties out there on, on slot receivers sometimes. Well, that's not a good matchup when you got a four two five four three guy versus a four five four six guy. Mm-hmm. Well, you got a problem there of keeping up. We saw that with uh, Helms, I believe, uh, Tennessee trying to match up against Jalen Hyatt. So when you look at this offense, and then you throw in the, the whole let's go fast. I mean, let's go fast. I mean, so that that's another wrinkle. I can tell you from play, playing defense for a lot of years, of course, I didn't see a lot of this. I did see no huddles with uh, the Buffalo Bills and Jim Kelly back in the 90s or you know, the Houston Oilers with Warren Moon. I saw some of that a lot, but it wasn't fast like they are today. I mean, they get you tired and you get <laughs> you get sloppy. Your reads are you're not reading because you're tired. And as they say, you know, fatigue make failures and, and out of all of us. So when you get fatigued, now you don't think you're not processing you're not reading you're going through your keys and now you got a guy running wide open so it really stresses the defense and that's why i think you're seeing uh the nfl we're saying it with uh, you know jalen hurts with the eagles now mm-hmm. jay you know some some that same type of concept how mommy you know My, mike leach you know arizona is running a lot of teams are running uh this, t- this style of offense because it puts a lot of pressure on a defensive team Programming note, Tim Brando is going to join us here in about uh, seven or eight minutes. Uh, uh, Guys down in Tuscaloosa, why is it that um, quarterbacks in college have flourished in this offense and just putting up amazing numbers? Graham Harrell, Cliff Kingsbury, Gardner Minshew, uh, and yet they don't go on and have success in the NFL. Why, why is that? And, and to me, that's the mark of a great college coach. I mean, you are turning somebody who does not have NFL talent into a dude who is uh, setting all these records. Well, I think there's a, a couple of things on that. So sometimes guys just don't uh, – they unfortunately, they don't translate um, to the pro level um, like you might expect. And, and that's just a case-by-case basis. You know, I've seen a lot of guys that are phenomenal in college, and, and you'd expect them to go on um, to have the same type of success at the, at the pro level. But unfortunately, they just don't pan out. Another thing I'll say is – um, you mentioned the system. Well, you got to remember in the NFL, a lot of teams still do run pro style offenses. You look at people like the New England Patriots, um, you know, just several other teams. It's, it's still common for for those teams to still run traditional pro style offenses. So these guys in college are used to taking snaps in the shotgun. They've never even had to go take a snap from under center. So then they get drafted to a team where they're required to go take snaps under center. They're doing um, you know different types of drops. Um, they, they're doing play actions that they they're not used to doing. So there's a lot of um, different variables that they're now forced to do at the pro level that they didn't necessarily get experience with at the college level and sometimes that can present a challenge for a quarterback when he's trying to transition to the NFL level. Yeah, we call those guys system quarterbacks, right? right. You know, they, they are benefiting from the system. Right. You know, and I think we can sometimes as fans get caught up into uh, the stats 
the, the, the statistics of excuse me of what that was out there. You know, this guy threw for forty eight hundred yards and thirty nine touchdowns, and boy, he's a baller. But then he gets to the NFL and he's got to read a defense, right? Right. That's the difference because you know the system in college. You said okay, they're giving me this look. They're in a, a, a too high shell. Okay, I know I'm going with the ball where the safety's coming down. I see where he's at. I'm reading that safety. I'm gonna go with the ball right here. It's almost predicated that these quarterbacks know based on just seeing what the defense is doing. They, they go here with the ball. The coach said, throw the ball right here, right? Versus the NFL or the Peyton Manning, you get to Omaha. I got to check. I got to get us out of a bad play and put us in a good play. You know, I got to be able to read all sorts of defenses. I got to get on the center. So when these guys get a chance in the league, they can't, they can't excel because they've been told what to do instead of understanding the game and understanding the defense. I close this. John Fox, my coordinator, always told us to study the offense so that we can understand how to play defense. Better, I think the same is is uh, for the offense. If you can understand the defense, you can become a great quarterback, and I think that's a problem a lot of these college guys are having uh, today. That's right. Fantastic, fantastic football talk. That's coming from the Millers in Tuscaloosa. Corey and his son Christian, former edge rusher for the University of Alabama, Lars Anderson, Matt Coulter. I am sure, I am certain, I would bet a lot on it that our next guest, Tim Brando, will have something and a story we hadn't heard yet about the late Mike Leach. From T-Town to the Plains, this is Alabama's most in-depth analysis on the SEC. This is Big Noon Sports. Hi, it's Chris Stewart. Make this holiday season an adventure and get an incredible deal at Townsend Honda. Shop Ford, Nissan, BMW, Chevrolet, Jeep, Lexus. It's low 59. Tomorrow, cloudy, breezy, rain, and thunderstorms move in. That rain could be heavy at times. The high 67. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. It's 60 degrees in Tuscaloosa. Um, I got my master's at the United States uh, Sports Academy in Daphne, Alabama, and which is a great place on the Gulf Coast of uh, of Alabama. It's on the East Bay of Mobile, but it's also right by Gulf Shores, Alabama, which is the consistency of the sand there is perfect. It's just bright white. It's uh, the consistency of sugar. Uh, uh, you know, it's uh, without being sticky. I mean, it's just gorgeous, and the water's just emerald green water. And there's this place down there, which is worth going to. It's kind of a cross between uh, the ultimate palatial shack uh, treehouse. I still need to build a treehouse, incidentally. That treehouse guy, I need to get a hold of him. He's hard to call. But the... Um, uh, uh, but there, the place is called Florabama, and it got slammed in the last uh, couple hurricanes. So, you know, if you go back again, you can see which rooms are missing and which rooms they added as a result. But uh, and uh, but Florabama is right on the border of Alabama and Florida, and you could go in there, and there'd be like three different bands playing, slightly one band slightly different from the next. You could get a. a one of those uh, sawed-off uh, boxes like they put a case of beer in, heaping with crawfish, heaping with crawfish for like five bucks. And then they had this triple-deck 
uh, a triple level deck out there overlooking the Gulf of Mexico in the middle of the night, all the stars and of course the band playing and all the people hanging around uh, all day, fantastic people watching, plus you had crawfish plus you're out there on the end of that deck and it's just gorgeous uh, that'd be it, uh, that'd be tough to beat uh, on, on the right night which I actually liked uh, weeknights better um, because two slammed on the weekends but uh, I would have to say uh, a really good weeknight at uh, uh, at Florabama. Yeah. Having been there, done that, gotten several T-shirts, I couldn't agree with that man any more than that. And the interesting thing about that is that's Mike Leach being asked at a dinner at a function in Pullman, Washington. And then suddenly he's talking about something of the Florabama, which I now can draw the parallel because this – Sports Academy that he went to. Yeah. It's located in Daphne, Alabama. That's how he got to the Florabama. I could and when he was describing the three decks, I was I right exactly there with him. Where I he was, was talking too. about. I know exactly what I had in my hand. I'll bet he did too. And he described it perfectly. Now, let's talk about somebody that knew him on a personal level too. Now join Tim Brando. Uh Tim your reaction to the loss of uh, of Mike Leach? I, I know you know knew him quite well. Uh, it's just a it's a hard day in uh, not just college football, but all the sports and all of us who uh, were lucky enough to spend time with Mike. What's the name of that great drink that you could only get at the Florabama guys? It was a uh, Bushwhacker. It was a, Bushwhacker. The Bushwhacker. I bought him a bushwhacker there once. How about that? <laughs> Tell us I more, did. please. Bought, come on. I can honestly say I bought Mike Leach a, a bushwhacker at the Four Bama one time. Yeah, I, you know that's the summertime. Uh, I mean, that's where I am. Uh, I go to the Four Bama and to um, you know Orange Beach every year, and have gosh for the last twenty at least. And prior to that, it was Fort Walton and Destin. I just moved a little closer to, uh, you know, the east because it became a little quicker driving when I had my, you know, grandkids and and uh, and, the, and our families began to grow a little bit. <clears throat> uh, an hour less drive to get your your vacation started was always uh, was always kind of a big deal. So um, not only not only did Mike. Uh, frequent that place uh, quite a bit, <clears throat> but so did Dana Holgerson. I, I spent um, I spent uh, uh, quite an evening with with you know Dana there, and and uh, he had some buddies of his from West Virginia there when Dana was coaching at West Virginia, and uh, you know probably of all the guys that are Mike Leach proteges that you no doubt are seeing on list today the one that really is most like him that's still got a pulse that's out there is Dana Holgerson now you know he's a lot more eccentric on the sidelines than, than Mike ever was he's more of, a, of an excitable guy uh, on the sidelines during a game but but his um, his true loyalty and the kind of the way he approaches the sport the life and life itself is very similar to Mike. Um, you know, he, Mike, Mike was a guy, the best way to put it is, uh, 
you know, the college football world is a much less interesting place without him. Uh, that's what makes this so tragic, that that we have lost uh, not just a, you know, you've seen heard the term national treasure, uh, one of a kind, um, most authentic, uh, and all those are, all those apply. And in fact, are probably understated. But um, when you meet someone in any walk of life that has uh, that kind of unique approach to everything he or she approaches in life, that, that uh, they make you stop and think, because what comes out of their mouth at a given time may may not seem what what would be on the uh, on on the precipice of anyone else's mind other than theirs. That's what makes uh, for a very unique individual. And uh, uh, you know, listen, uh, Matt, you've been around long enough. We've met some great characters in coaching before. Okay, and the yeah. SEC's had plenty of them. Uh, particularly in basketball in the 80s, you know. Um, probably the only one of that group that would fit into the Mike Leach um, uh, profile at all would be Dale Brown. Dale would make you think about things at a time that no one else would. And, of course, Dale is still with us, God bless him. But, but that was a basketball coach, and that was we're talking about characters. And we're talking about coaches that were, in, in, you know, 30 years or more before. 30 years, 30 years ago, 40 years ago, we're talking about the 80s. This is 2022, and there is no one that approaches Mike Leach in his, in his, um, his lifestyle uh, in college football coaching. No one that comes near him. Um in terms of uh, interest beyond his profession. You know, Mike was genuine when he talked about Geronimo. He was genuine when he, when he talked about, uh, you know, the pirate and the, uh, the approach to winning, uh, you know, warfare, uh, how to go about it. Um, so much so that it would dominate a conversation in the middle of a football season when he was working for somebody else as a coordinator. And the coach was like, okay, well, that's fine, Mike, but what do we have for third down this week? <laughs> you know, uh, he could just stop you cold, man. And uh, and you were fine with it. You were fine with all that uniqueness and the, the, the different character uh, quirks that he had because you knew he was brilliant. And whatever was in his head that needed to come out needed to come out for him to be effective. And uh, my God, that's just uh, that's just unbelievable. It just stops you cold, you know, when you think about guys being that um, ahead of the game. You know, it's like their mind can be moving in so many directions. But um, that other quality uh, that I'll always take away. Uh, and, and I saw this at the floor Bama. I saw it when he was coaching uh, at Kentucky when I was calling Al Mummy and his games in the 90s with Tim Couch. 
I'll, I'll never forget going to those practices. Dave Rowe and I were doing those games, those SEC games on Jefferson Pilot in those days. And they were practices unlike anything I'd ever seen. I mean, they were fast. It was uh, shells and shorts and virtually no pads. And this was, this was not happening anywhere else in college football at the time. Um, I mean, not even Spurrier's practices were like this. Um, and Spurrier was probably given credit for being more innovative as a head coach than anybody in the SEC. But, but, but Mike's practices with Mummy were just incredible. And, um, he, he had a, a willingness to, to uh, engage his players and the people that were around them in ways that made you just stop and go, well, that was pretty, that was funny. What, where did that come from? How did he think of that? You know, like he'd see something in the middle of practice and spurt something out of his mouth and uh, just make you stop. So, you know, I, I got to see Mike literally at every level as he emerged into big time division one college football. I mean, I wasn't at Iowa Wesleyan with he and Hal, but right after that, when uh, he came to Kentucky, I was. And and from then until, you know, the days through, my last game to call of his was back in uh, the end of the uh, 19, 18, 19 season. No, yeah, 18 season. The end of the 18 season, the Apple Cup. It was his last game at, at Washington State. And that great game that he had with Minshew, when they beat Oregon and game day came to Pullman for the first time, uh, that was a pretty eventful uh, weekend for him too. And it was an honor for Spencer and I to get to call that game when they beat Oregon uh, in October of 2018. There's some great stuff there, Tim. You know, someone who was impacted tremendously uh, by Mike Leach was Lincoln Riley and his quarterback, Caleb Williams was awarded the Heisman this past Saturday. Were there any surprises there? With regard to the uh, the Heisman itself, yes, the, uh, uh, well, I guess not really. I I'm not a big uh, I'm a Heisman voter. I'm proud to have the vote, but I don't I don't necessarily get the Heisman anymore. I don't I don't I don't think the award now it's gotten I guess maybe too big, uh, and as a result, it becomes a uh, public relations sprint to the finish and once we get to a certain point then this is the way it's going to go unless this or that happens. I, Based on what I saw with the balloting I don't think if Max Duggan had scored uh, on a touchdown from a yard away when when TCU was uh, denied the chance to stay undefeated and, uh, uh, and win the Big 12 I don't think that would have changed things. I think Caleb was going to win no matter what, if you're at the biggest program with the greatest brand and you've got uh, a run like Caleb has up until the point that you play in a game like he did, and God knows he played well enough for uh, the USC in the last game. They just went ran up against the buzzsaw in Utah, bad matchup for them. So, so um, you know, I, I don't think it would have made much of a difference. I wasn't surprised at all. Caleb's a great player. And uh, it's a great road. When you think about um, when you think about uh, uh, 
the Heisman Trophy and what Lincoln Riley has been able to do now at two separate programs uh, in, in building Heisman Trophy quarterbacks, that's, that's pretty exemplary work. I just don't think it represents what the definition of the award says, which is the game's most outstanding player. I no longer believe that the Heisman represents that. I think it's gotten too big, too corporate, too PR-oriented, and uh, and the media has, I think, played a large role in, in messing that up. Again, I, I, I'm i happy to have the, uh, the honor of, of voting, but I do think there are a lot of people that have votes that have no business having votes. Yeah, I totally Tim, can you hang through a break? You 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 know you yeah. know the drill here. We need to pay some salaries here. So if we can do that and come back, we'll pick it up and uh, you talk to yeah. Corey Miller on the other side of this break. All right, thank you, Mike. Uh, we appreciate it. We'll talk more about Mike Leach with Tim Brando on Big Noon Sports. Covering SEC sports like Kudzu on the roadside. This is Big Noon Sports. My brother-in-law died suddenly, and now my sister and her kids have to sell their home. That's why I told my husband we could not put off getting life insurance any longer. When you hear ELO, you know it's time for Tim Brando. And uh, to set up our next question, we'll go to Tuscaloosa. Here's Corey Miller, nine-year NFL linebacker, edge rusher. Thank you, Matt. Uh, Tim, you know, I have a concern when it comes to college football right now. Of course, with the NIL, don't have an issue with players making uh, money off their name, image, and or likeness. Uh, And also the transfer portal. One of the areas I'm concerned and a little upset about is bowl games because now we've seen so many thousands of players whose names are in the transfer portal. We've seen guys who are opting out because they want to get ready for the NFL, which says to me we are now devaluing even the New Year's Day six games, these bowl games. We, we're like They have zero meaning to me now, and, and maybe even the college uh, playoffs could be affected later. Who knows? We've seen some guys opting out of that. So are you concerned? And if so, what advice, what would you change about these bowl games going forward? Well, Corey, the bottom line is um, we are uh, lacking stewardship in terms of uh, who's in charge of, of college football. And it is uh, going to be a very interesting off season. Uh, listen, all this stuff that went down with the NIL and with uh, the portal had to happen because of a Supreme Court ruling that was a nine to nothing ruling. And, um, uh, you know, the NCAA w- was, was, you know, the body that was in charge and it chose not to do anything. It kicked the can down the street for years and years and years and years and years. And now it's up to those that are firmly in command and influencing college football, which are who? Commissioners of the power conferences of college football. It's in it's in their hands now that they move forward and that they get, um, you know, themselves together and and agree. Okay, these commissioners now have to start working together and agree uh, to to get some things done, and they've been at odds with one another because of realignment. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, that's that's where the problem is. That's why it's really interesting to see that it's the president. And uh, ironically, it was the president of Mississippi State <laughs> that helped push uh, forward the twelve the twelve uh, team playoff for the uh, future of two thousand twenty four twenty five. I think we're going to get there. I do. I'm I'm very positive about the future of college football's postseason. And I think therein lies the issue. Once we get out of the 14 playoff and we get to the 12 team playoff, we will see uh, some stabilization to some of the issues that you're talking about. Uh, yeah, the New Year's Six Bowls are affected that are not part of the playoff. Uh, but those they're going to be until we, we have those those young men know they can play in games that can actually help them. Where the, the, the And all these young men that are playing the game all have representatives. They all have, uh, we call them whatever you want, advisors, agents, whatever you want. Mm-hmm. They have a circle of people telling them what they believe is in their best interest. And if you're not playing in a game that's going to elevate your potential as it relates to your draft, uh, opportunities, then uh, it's if it's not in your best interest, then don't go out there and get yourself hurt. I mean, that's just what it is. Uh, and as it relates to how many bowls are going to fold or how many bowls are going to survive, I think a reasonable number will survive once we go to a 12-team college football playoff. Uh, but most importantly now, I think if you just look at the grand scheme of things, uh, we have to get uh, all the commissioners of all of the conferences, and I, I, I mentioned power. I probably should just say all the conferences that are still there, okay, which I think are 10 now. we got to get these guys together uh, to make sure that they move forward with getting the kind of support that's necessary from Congress, okay, in a nonpartisan manner to make sure that we can control, not, you know, NIL is fine. There's not a problem with that. The problem is the portal. And the fact that there is no regulation with the portal at all. we got to stop the wild, wild west of guys being able to go to their fifth or sixth school, like the mm-hmm. situation uh, with the West Virginia quarterback this time. You know, you know he was... <laughs> He was in Georgia two years ago. I mean, it goes. We we got to stop that kind of story that's out there. So I'm with you from that standpoint. But um, the people that are in command now, that we got to check the egos of these commissioners in at the door and get them to start working together to make certain that they put together a coalition to go forward to Congress to find a way to regulate what's going on with the transfer port. Tim, there's a, a growing sentiment and, you know, more momentum that Oklahoma and Texas, you know, could lead the Big 12 a year early and join the SEC in 2024. How do you see that affecting, you know, college football and, and even conferences as a whole? Do you see more teams doing so? And, and how would that look for college football? I honestly would be surprised if they didn't go uh, at that point. I think it has to happen. Um, there's, uh, you know, I don't know that Texas and OU are necessarily ready, uh, but I think the Big 12 would probably like to get on with things too. I mean, they're accepting all the new teams into their league next year, and 
scheduling for Brett Yormark and the commissioners of uh, the commissioner of that league now is going to be pretty crazy for uh, for one season at least, and we'll see what happens. I I, I think that uh, I think everybody's prepared for the realignment that's uh, that's set forth. It's just a question of of executing it. Um, it'll be interesting to see if uh, there are any hang-ups for either OU or Texas, given the fact that that exit fee is still at $80 million, and uh, whether they can get that, you know, regulated down to, you know, maybe half that or, or whatever. But um, I don't know if the league office is necessarily going to show Texas and Oklahoma any financial favor there. Uh, <laughs> but um, but, uh, but is, is everyone ready for it? I think yes. Uh, will it cause some scheduling um, uh, issues that are going to turn some of the conferences' offices upside down in the next 12 to 24 months? Absolutely. As always, it's just wonderful to have you on the show. That's, of course, Tim Brando with Fox Sports. I really would like to do a deep dive next time you join us to see what was Mike Leach like after a Florabama bushwhacker, or did he even dare have a second? Because those things are, they are potent. <laughs> well, that's why the Floribama has done more. The Floribama has done more to boost Uber than any location on the planet. His <laughs> <laughs> uh, his description of that was just, you know, we need to bottle that. Just hold on to it. Never, yep. never get rid of that taste. Because his description of the Floribama. It must make Joe, the late Joe Gilchrist, who passed away, own that place. Absolutely. I can only see him smiling in heaven over that description are, by Mike Lee. You're right, Joe. There's another great man. All right, Timmy. Right, we'll talk again next week, I hope. They're having a bushwhacker in hey, heaven right now. They are indeed. And you and I are going to have one real soon. <laughs> see you, Timmy. The best sports talk in Alabama. This is Big Noon Sports. So I switched to Boost Mobile and got this free Samsung Galaxy A23 5G phone. Why do you think they call it the Galaxy? Maybe because the Samsung Galaxy A23 has a huge screen, and galaxies are huge. Night's low 59. Tomorrow, cloudy, breezy, rain, and thunderstorms move in. That rain could be heavy at times. The high 67. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. It's 60 degrees in Tuscaloosa. All right, pinpoint Doppler 1 basically means that we're going to be exact in this uh, weather forecast here, and we're going to nail it down perfectly. So over here, we have Mule Shoe. Uh, so those folks in Mule Shoe, you can pretty well go to the bank with what you hear here. Uh, on Friday, we're looking at cooler than normal temperatures, and it's going to be windy, but windy's not all bad because other teams that try to throw the ball don't practice in the wind that we do. So therefore, we can pass. They won't be able to. So we like that. Uh, 25 mile an hour winds are ideal, but uh, maybe higher than that. But we'll still fight through it. Saturday, 71 degrees, uh, partly cloudy. I remember when this happened because uh, I was sitting in an edit bay, the television edit bay, and somebody says, you need to watch this nut. 
And I'm going, who are you talking about? Mike Lanham. Well, of course, I knew who it was. And then if you can see his hand movements, and obviously you can't on radio, but he starts holding his hands up in the air like he's supporting the clouds, and he uses his hands. The bottom line of the story is the weather guy got something wrong. Leach kind of poked fun at him, and the weather guy said, well, why don't you come up here and do it? So guess what Mike Leach did, Lars? <laughs> he went up there and did it. And he learned the Doppler, the lingo, all that kind of stuff, and, and he did the weather. Here's another something that I unearthed that I did not know about Mike Leach. It will surprise no one. Between his years as a player, as an assistant, and then becoming a head football coach, he did one year as the head coach of the Pori Bears of the American Football Association of Finland. I love that. Finland! I also love this. Uh, I want to make two quick points. One, uh, this is in a statement issued by by the family via Mississippi State that uh, Mike's final act of charity was he was able to participate in organ donation. And uh, I encourage everyone to be an organ donor. I am, uh, and uh, it's a great thing. Number two, um, right now, and I I don't want to be sort of prisoner of the moment, but Mike Leach is not eligible for the College Football Hall of Fame because he did not win 60% of his games as a head coach. He won 59.6% of all the games that he coached. But if you look sort of at the the broader perspective here, uh, that uh, the impact he had on the game, uh, the impact he had on so many young people, his exquisite uniqueness, I think this rule needs to be changed. Uh, I think Mike Leach uh, probably does belong in the Hall of Fame, and 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 I and I know again this is sort of a reactionary thing, but. I didn't know that this rule existed, that you have to win 60% of your games as a head coach to be eligible, and Mike Leach is right there at 59.6. So um, Round I, th- up. I think the rule is the problem there. But, uh, uh, Christian, I'll go to you first and then to your dad, Corey. Um, just final thoughts uh, on this day of mourning, and, and we're all in still a little bit of shock about uh, the death of Mike Leach at age 61. We feared that this may be coming based on the news we heard yesterday, but nonetheless, this is a a massive gut punch. It really is. You know, a a pioneer of the game, you know, uh, specifically that West Coast air raid offense. And, uh, you know, he contributed so much to the the game of football. And uh, it's just so impressive um, given his background, you know, with with a law degree and, and no college football playing experience. Um, just to have so much, just a plethora of knowledge about the game and to be able to, to impact it in the way that he did um, was truly special. And, and, and more importantly, um, the man that he was off the field um, with, with so many testimonies of um, him being a listener and just how much he cared for others. And uh, I, I think that's truly special. And there's, there's not, unfortunately, there's not um, enough people um, uh, like him nowadays, and there needs to be much more. So just very sad news, and my condolences um, to his whole family, his players, and all of his loved ones. Yeah, I echo again, uh, you know, well said. I think, you know, one of the things you look at when you have uh, an unexpected thing like this to happen, someone, you know, we lose someone like Mike Leach, I look and I see, I want to see what are people saying. 
what are people saying about the individual? And one of the things that I've heard on countless, you know, radio, national radio, on Twitter, things I read, the kind of individual, the kind of person that he was. And that, to me, is amazing. Uh, I mean, and I think what we can learn is live your life, love one another, treat people kind as you would want them, want yourself to be treated. And life works out well, whether you live 61 years, 101 years. You know, God is good, and his mercy and his grace endures forever. But I think, man, if we, especially in this world today that we live in, if people can take a lesson from Mike Leach, is treat people right, love people good, and serve them well. And, and I think, you know, good things come from that. So that's that's what I, I, I really enjoy hearing, these great stories. He's funny, he's innovative, forget the football. But it's about how you treat people at the end of the day. And, and we're seeing what people are saying about such a great man in Mike Leach. Rest in peace and uh, grace and peace to his family. The pastor of pain with uh, incredible words. That's tough to follow, to be honest with you, Lars. <laughs> I have Thank you, Corey. To say on that, uh, yeah, so no, very, Corey, very Corey, no. Corey, your your eloquence is uh, just uh, stunning, and uh, I, I'm so happy you are part of our radio family now. And uh, just you said it, you said it great. You said it. I, I can't put it any better. Can't put it any well, better. It's been great being with you guys. I'm gonna be headed back to South Carolina. You too. And um, it was great to talk to Andy Kennedy and see what they're going to do against my Gamecocks. I'll be watching, though, for sure. I'll, I'll be there. I'll wave to you. How's that? <laughs> give me a little wave. <laughs> I'll, give, I'll give you a shout-out to Corey. So, all right, good deal. I did want to ask Christian about uh, Kyler Murray uh, going down last night. Just really quick. Uh, I, I hate these non-contact injuries, Christian. It's on a grass field. Um, just quick reaction to what you saw last night. You hate to see it, you know. Again, as a player, you know all the the time and efforts and hard work um, that people put into to their their passion, which is football. And and to see an injury like that, a non contact injury, um, it's just heartbreaking to see that man. And um, I just I wish him the best in his recovery. I know he's going to bounce back. He's a phenomenal athlete, and I know his work ethic will will help him get back to where he, he was previously. But it, I just feel like there's so many injuries now. Uh, you know, this season it feels like between the concussions and, and the non contact injuries and um, I know it's part of the game, but it's always tough to see him happen. So uh, I hope for the best for him in his recovery. Kyler might miss most of next year, too. Oh, geez, that's just uh, it's tough. Yep. Hey, Corey, safe travels. Thank we'll be you, back man. tomorrow at noon on Big Noon Sports. All right, rest Thank in you. peace, Mike. Thank you. Head more clearly with Sylvania bulbs and O'Reilly Auto Parts. Right now, purchase select Sylvania bulbs and get up to a $20.